Good morning, everyone, from all over the country. We're in Coolidge, Arizona, on March the 24th, 2019. We are in and studying the book of Acts, chapter 16. Some opening statements. One, this is based on where we were last week, that God <clears throat> initiates this earthquake. You have read it. We have read it together. And when we read the recorded history or the recorded account of that event, it must have the same impact on us now as the event had upon them then. We have not read this story about the earthquake until it has had the same effect upon us as it had upon them. Folks, that's why all of the miracles are recorded. They are to have, the, the record is to have the same impact on us as it had upon those who experienced it directly. Now, we've got a lot of learning to do in how we read. For us to get to that point. That's why it says in John 20, 30, I don't need to turn to that, but we read it last week. These things are written so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ by what Jesus did and by what he said. Now, let me go on to point two. I think that one has been said enough. And I would expect some difference out of those, who, of those of you who have heard this. We need to take a different look at how we read, and it must have the impact upon us as it did them. Because the miracles are not going to continue, they're not going to be repeated, and they have to have that impact. We have lost the impact. That's what needs to be restored. Not the church restored. We need to have the impact of the miracles restored. We need no, do not need to restore America. We need to restore the impact of the miraculous in Jesus' and the apostles' time. Secondly, looking at Lydia and the jailer, all in, the chapter, all in, all in chapter 16 of the book of Acts, Lydia has a natural, maybe learned, inclination toward God. Were there any miracles in her case? No. She's, uh, Paul went to the wall, uh, to a little foundation bench or whatever it was, and sat down. She was there, and he had a conversation with her and others toward God and 
toward who Jesus was, and the results were the same as it was with the jailer. Now we come to the jailer. He had no inclination toward God, not that we know of. Now, whenever you talk to somebody, you have to talk to them about what is their inclination. Do they have an inclination toward God? Then that's, that's where you can begin. But if they have no inclination toward God, then you need to read to them the story of, them, of, of the earthquake. Because that earth story of the earthquake will enlighten, open their eyes. Well, then you're going to have to explain why you believe that the Bible is true, I suppose. But we haven't had the right approach with people who are not believers because we haven't taken them to the miracles. The miracles are the turning point for those who have no inclination toward God. And you cast it off. You discount it, saying, oh, they don't care about the miracles. Well, that's because there's no conviction when you tell them about it. See? They're going to feed off of your conviction. If you have no conviction, they're going to discount it. But if you have a conviction and you have had and you have been affected by the miracles, then that will transfer into, they will see that and it will transfer to them their appreciation and they may ask the same question that the jailer asked when he had his eyes opened by the miracle. What must I do to be saved? But you have to make that determination. And what else is there to determine about anybody? Well, they're a socialist. Or they're a communist. Who cares? That's not the issue. Jesus didn't die for one or the other, or neither. Thirdly, we have to remember the right process. These are all things that we discussed last week, so just a summary, but remember the right process. <clears throat> we bring people to a belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We do that through what he did and what he said. We verify what he said as true and authentic because of what he did. I hope you got that. And when you talk, talk to folks about the Lord and you talk to them and begin with them about what it is that Jesus did, they have to be amazed. Or you simply are not conveying any conviction in your own heart. They will reflect your level of conviction. I was waiting for a tomato. Don't have it yet. We'll keep going. So <clears throat> we bring people to a belief in who Jesus is through what he did and said. And then we don't leave them hanging. They have to believe into something. And so at the same hour of the night, the jailer was baptized. That's the urgency. Now, if he had continued to teach them everything that they needed to know in life, he, they still would not have had him, he still would not have been baptized and still would have not been saved. 
When a person believes, based on what Jesus did, verified, and again, by what he said, when the two go together, when they come to a belief on that basis, at that point, you head for the river or a swimming pool or a church baptistry. That's the last resort. Don't leave people hanging once they have believed. They only become hardened from that point on. That's the beginning of the trail home. That Jesus told the disciples after they had made disciples out of the folks, the general population, make disciples, that is, make them learners of Christ, make them disciples of Christ, and then baptize them, and then teach them to observe all things. We don't begin to teach until people have been baptized. We need to baptize people upon their belief. And that belief must be dynamic with them. It must be their dynamic. Then we bring them into a process of where they learn more about the Lord. Now, here is where I want you to slip over to a chart that was sent out this morning called the Invite. Jesus invites people to rethink their belief and the Bible their hope, their affection, and really nothing else. But you weren't following me, were you? Everything else. That happens after they have learned about who Jesus is, have been baptized, and now we have to be in a life process of changing how we think. Do we believe that we, each one of us individually, are in that mode? I simply want to believe what is right. And then in the blue circle, we have the believing social order. Selected the term social because it is so greatly misused today, but it is the right word to use for the church. The church is the believing social order of God. The word social means that those who are believing and in this order are marked by experiencing a pleasant relationship. And the aims of the education teaching them to observe all things, the aims of that education, the only real meaningful education, oh, unless you're talking about materialism, 
you know, which means that you, you need to learn something to know how to do something so you can get some money. That's one place. But folks, that's not the real purpose of education. That's the secondary purpose of education, and it's very valid. But the aims of the education that we need to emphasize and need to be behind, the aim of it is to teach believers how to adjust themselves to the harmony of the living social order. That means that we are always in the process of clearing human confusion, teaching them to observe all things, to pay attention to everything, clearing up the human confusion. Folks, that takes a lifetime. I keep hearing words all the time that if people knew what they were talking about, they wouldn't use those terms. That's too bad. But we have to concentrate. The purpose of the believing social order, the church, is to clear up human confusion and to diminish human relational misery. How to get along. The two laws. We know those. But that's, that's how we get along. How we get along. It, it, it's the process of diminishing the misery that goes on between people that people have control over. Now, if you've got an ingrown toenail, there's nothing I can do about that but chop, chop your toe off. That would be my solution. So the, the believing social order is what God established, and he calls it the ecclesia. That's what the word ecclesia means, is the social order based upon those who are baptized believers. And it is made up of those who refer... I'm reading under in, in that center, center circle... Uh, uh, it is made up of those who reverence him sufficiently to make the effort to pay attention to him on his own terms. That's when we have become a prayerful type people. We have become a committed people, a people of prayer as a noun, people of commitment. And that ought to be our objective, is to make and put forth the effort to pay attention to what is said by him or his disciples or um, his presenters on his own terms. And that will resolve most of the issues of the body. Three things in conclusion of this uh, point down at the bottom of the page. This believing social order works together with God. They're conscious of it. That's their impetus. There is, that is their objective. 
They work together with God. So they really have a desire to know something about God. Secondly, it blends with the purpose of his presenters, that's the apostles, and those whom they delegated. It always is blending with their purpose. And thirdly, the question, how well have we labored together with the author in accomplishing this? We've looked at three things so far this morning. We looked at our impact, that we, we look at our need to be impacted by the miraculous. That's what it was written and recorded for. And folks, until it has, you're not a reader and you're, you're ignorant of the word, no matter what you say about its doctrine. Secondly, that you have to determine a person's inclination, whether it's toward God or not toward God, and you deal with them accordingly from that point on. Thirdly, you have to consider the right process. And the right process is to teach them to believe in who Jesus is based on what he did and then what he said. And then we baptize them, and then we understand that they become a part of the believing social order and we've talked about that is their invite that we need to be on top of. With that having been said, let's go to verse 35 of chapter verse 35 of chapter 16. Let's go back to verse 34. And when he had brought them into his house, the jailer that is, he had already been baptized. He had washed their stripes. He was baptized. He and all of his straightway. He didn't waste any time. Folks, there is always an urgency in doing the right thing at the right time. You baptize believers at that point when they become a believer. If there's a hesitancy there, then we have to understand maybe they haven't believed in who Jesus was, that he's really the Lord and he has instructed us to be baptized into him. And it's a question about how we look at the lordship of Christ. Now, when he had, in verse 34, brought them into his house, he set meat before them, food of any kind, and rejoiced. Uh, believing in God. Now, this becomes the umbrella for all of, their, all of their activities to this point were having believed in God. That included their belief in Jesus Christ. Now they have believed in God. He, can we believe in one God without believing in Christ? No. And to believe in Christ is to believe in God. That's why it's stated this way, all of his house believing in the God. That's a powerful passage that all of those things combined evidences that one is a believer in the God. If you have not been baptized, don't claim to be a believer. If you have not read the scriptures, if you've not been impacted by the miracles, you are not a believer in God. And I mean, that's just the way it is, folks. Verse 35, And when it was day, 
the rulers sent forth their dictator, the, 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 the ones who carry out their mission, saying, let those men go. That's another statement of, of, that is a lot of memory in it. But let those men go. Now these are the very ones who said, put them in prison. Now they're saying, let these men go. Well, the keeper of the prison told this thing to Paul, let these men go. The magistrates, the rulers, have sent to let you go. They're the ones who told me to put you in prison and to whip you, to tear your skin to threads. Now, therefore, since they've given you this permission, go in peace. Man, I'm getting out of here. As they call it in Westerns, I'm getting out of Dodge. Let them go before they start singing again. Yeah, yeah let them go. Yeah. I think that's oh, the point, yeah. Yeah, let them go before they start singing again. Oh, wouldn't you not like to know what tune they sang and what kind of words they sang? But we don't know that. I guess we, we're going to have to be dependent upon us getting into that circumstance to see what comes out of our spirit. Because all that is is an evidence that the spirit was transcending their immediate physical condition. We know there was no no uh, you know accompanying music though, and there was no no accordion, mm-hmm. not even a harmonica, not even a black box, not e- oh no black box. <laughs> that that could bring the walls down though. Oh. I, it's been working on these out here for a while, <laughs> and it's done that. Okay, I like what Paul says in verse thirty-seven. But Paul said. Paul never just takes anything for granted. You probably haven't noticed that before. But he he thought about everything that was said, and now he said unto them, uh, they have beaten us openly. Being Romans. Oh, now that's going to come back to haunt them. And they have cast us into prison as Romans. Now, he hasn't told us anything about where he's going yet. And now do they thrust us away privately or secretly? They've done everything they did publicly. Now, why are they coming when they've been embarrassed and try to do make things right privately? Because they're trying to save face. Save face. I like that. Oh, he says, not so. That's right. Can't you just hear him? Oh, not so, folks. Not folk. That's not the way it's going to be. Right. Nay, verily. But you let them come themselves and fetch us out. <laughs> How bright yeah. this guy was. That just thrills my soul. And if you're into this text, that's got to throw your soul as well. And the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, rulers, and they 
then, now the tables have turned. They feared. should. They should fear. And why did they fear when they heard they were Romans? Why? Because a Roman had to go to court, had to be heard, had to be convicted before he could be thrown into prison. And they had violated all of the rules. And now it's come back to haunt them. And they heard that they were Romans. Ooh, they weren't happy about that. And they came and besought them. Now they came, the ones who were fearing. Came and besought them and brought them out. So you see, what Paul requested, it happened. They came they brought him out, and they kept begging them to leave the city. You know, you're really not needed nor wanted here any longer. Go away. Go away. Just go away. That's how it all started. Way back with the slave girl. That prison wasn't going to be cheap to rebuild either. No. <laughs> Don't you just love it? That's all a part of the miracle. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house. Oh, and they fled like a dog with his tail between his legs. And they scattered from town. And they were never seen again. No, they went back to Lydia's house. Oh, they did? Oh, you can't, you can't convince me of that. But that's what it says. They came out of the prison and they made a beeline for whose house? Lydia's house. And when they had seen the brethren, they told about their torture, their misery, their dark hours. Look at who comforted who. They encouraged the brethren. It wasn't the other way around. They departed having comforted the brethren. So their message was all positive. They had brought a rainbow to the church's cloud. Now, that's something that each of us can do every day in our own way. By the way, that, was, that rhymed. That was poetic. <laughs> um, you can always add a rainbow to somebody's cloud. And a rainbow is typical of God's faithfulness, that God keeps his promises. And so you always want to look 
as to how you can bring a rainbow to somebody's life. But here, the brethren had a concern about Paul and Silas. And these guys, Paul and Silas and Luke, encouraged them, and then they departed. They did what first when they got to Lydia's house? Would they whine? They encouraged. They they gave an energy. They increased the church's energy. Encouragement is to re-encourage. When courage has been lost or minimized, now they have their courage back. And Paul went there to put a rainbow in their cloud, to give them courage and strength. And then they departed. They had a mission after they got out of prison, and their mission was to go back to Lydia, and they knew the brethren were waiting there, and they encouraged them before they left to go on their travels. What a story. Now, I'll bet the assembly there spoke of that miracle and that whole account over and over again to oh. the people. Can you imagine what a, what a good place to go? In verse 34, we have the joy of the believers. You see that? And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced and, be, and believing, uh, believing in God with all his house. They rejoiced. Hmm. Having believed in God, they rejoiced. They rejoiced. They believed in God. And re- what, remember, what the believing in God encompasses, is, has, it, it encompasses everything that relates to the necessity of the things you believe in that God has done, refer, and including Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of mankind. And, he, and the whole house picked up on that. So there was joy there. There was joy right there. Right after that baptism, there was joy. And now, when he comes back to Lydia, they rejoiced. I don't think the word is used there. But they had the same thing because as the, the word encourage, I think, would certainly include that being encouraged... They had a lightened spirit. What, what a story. And we're going to close with that today. Father, we thank you for this story that has so much impact upon those who become believers today. Somehow we grieve for those who just don't get it because it's so hard to go anywhere until you get the simplicity of Scripture and the impact of it upon each person's life. Father, we are committed ourselves to being what we ought to be. In Jesus' name, amen.